I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles and uh, open them to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Have you ever noticed, uh, if you're a Facebook or Instagram person, that sometimes Facebook memories pop up and just kind of remind you of, um, of things uh, that have gone on in your life, and, and the reminder is that only you can see it unless you choose to share it with someone else. Recently, that happened on our account. Uh, I think my wife only shared it with our kids, uh, but 11 years ago, 11 years ago, late July, we were in Virginia officiating a wedding. And after the wedding, we drove the couple of hours uh, west uh, back to Beckley, West Virginia, where my sisters and my dad were living at the time, and to go visit them. I think, as recollection tells me, it was a Sunday evening it was the classic uh, sitting at my sister and brother-in-law's house after church. My brother-in-law was pastoring at the time, and we were talking about things we might do while we were there, and my sister uttered these words that made my heart leap and made visions, I mean, it made me so excited you would think a Roman candle had gone off in my soul. She said, y'all could go ziplining if you want over at New River Gorge. Now, I think, as I recall the story, I was calm on the outside. We got back to our hotel room, and Charlene, knowing her husband quite well, said, if you wanted to go zip lining, I would go with you. Well, within seconds, within seconds, I had my laptop open, and I was Googling ziplining tours, and I booked for us a trip at the New River Gorge Treetops Zipline Canopy Tour. The one thing that they offered is that we would be ziplining through rare virgin hemlock forests in West Virginia. Uh, I was excited. I, I, I could, yeah, the trees were great, but 10 ziplines three aerial bridges and the best part was at the very end you landed on a platform and you did a 40 foot open free rappel down to the ground i was fired up charlene was a trooper we did the 10 zip lines we did the aerial bridges we got to the platform and after getting unharnessed from her free-hanging rappel that she made, she marched up to me and pointed a finger at me and said, you are buying me a T-shirt. And I did. Now, that's a little bit of a fun story about us. There's a lot more with it. I remember we sent a picture of us to the kids, and one of our kids said, as we're there in all of our gear, our helmet, our harnesses, we're standing on a platform, and one of our kids said, Dad looks like a kid in a candy store. Mom looks like, okay, I'm making it through this. Well, I tell you that because it's going to serve as two parts of an illustration for us today. You see, we had to go through the zip lines and the bridges and everything to get to the rappel. And we are beginning a series this morning in Galatians, and, and the focus of the series is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. 
And, and, and we're going to look at, over the next few weeks, this list of aspects of fruit of the Spirit. But the reality is it's like we're rappelling into the end of the book of Galatians. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is listed in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5 of a six-chapter book. So we're kind of rappelling in, kind of doing a free rappel down and landing on the fruit of the Spirit. But to understand that, I've got to give you some background. I need to bring you up to speed about the book of Galatians and how we get here. You will notice in your bulletin a very large insert. It's a green 8.5 by 11 when you open it up insert. It's entitled New Testament Survey, Galatians. Many years ago, I tasked myself with going through every book of the Bible and outlining a brief survey, the human author, the date, the, the background, the outline, some of the practical values of that book. And uh, so I did that, and, and I, I have that series, and I'm in the process now of going back through it and kind of updating it, changing it, kind of cleaning it up a bit. Galatians is one of those surveys that you have with you. And I reproduce that for you. I hope you'll take that home and look that over and kind of get up to speed. But I want to help you out a little bit this morning. Galatians is one of the earliest uh, written letters that we have in our New Testament. One of the earliest letters from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Depending on a variety of things, it's either a letter dated in somewhere in the 40s of the first century or maybe the early 50s. And what strikes me is not all that stuff about the date, but if we believe that Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected, and, rose, and, and then ascended into heaven somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., then that tells me that in less than 20 years, doctrinal error to the point where Paul felt he had to address it had already creeped in to the churches, especially the churches in the region of Galatia. The area of uh, Galatia is an area that we would look at today and call it modern-day Turkey. It's, it's in that area. Uh, and we're going to see as we go through this that there's a key theme in the book. In fact, I think the key word in the book of Galatians used... Uh, five times in four and six chapters is the word freedom or free. I'm going to develop that in a minute. But this letter is unique. It's not written to an individual. In fact, when you look at the beginning of the book of Galatians, Galatians it's written to a group of churches. And, and not just one church, it's to the churches throughout the region. So no leaders are mentioned by name. And it doesn't start with a lot of niceties. Paul jumps right in, and, and really, if you read this book, you're going to realize this is kind of harsh. He's, he's pretty harsh with these Galatian believers. Uh, and, and so in the Galatian church, like anywhere in the Roman Empire, we saw it when we went through the book of Romans, was made up of folks who had grown up in the Jewish culture and had become followers of Jesus, and folks who had grown up in the non-Jewish culture and had become followers of Jesus. And, and so they're in there in that church, they're kind of mixed together. 
and, and uh, the story of redemption by faith in the finished work of Jesus had come to the region largely through Paul. Paul. Paul and Barnabas went through that area, and then he went back through with Silas. And typically, as it happened, on the heels of Paul, kind of like following his journey, was another group of people. This group of people are known sometimes as Judaizers. What that means is these are Jewish people who believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who believe that he died on the cross for our sins, who, would, who believe that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, and, that it, and, and they believed all of that. And they believed that you needed to put your faith in Christ. They believed all of that. But they also said it's not simply enough just to believe in that. You need to then follow the Jewish law in order to truly be saved. It's believing in Christ and following all the Jewish laws. Those didn't get eradicated. Even though Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, they said, well, we need to fulfill the law too. And that meant if you were a non-Jewish male, then you had to be circumcised. And Paul is dealing with the additions in the book of Galatians. He argues through his own personal testimony in chapters 1 and 2 that these things aren't necessary, that it is our faith in the person and work of Christ that's necessary. He then appeals to the story of Abraham, the, the father of the Israelite nations, the ones that, I mean, we dealt with that in Romans. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And, and Paul's going to make that same appeal. And what I find interesting, although Galatians is written earlier than Romans, you see some of the same themes woven in there. And so Paul talks about how, who Abraham was and what that meant. And then he looks at the freedom we have in Christ and how that freedom can be exercised in regular life, and that's in chapters 5 and 6. And the idea that faith, not human effort, is the key to salvation. As I said, Paul's words are really harsh because these are people that he had spent time with, that he had taught. And, and so Paul wants to challenge them to change. Now, I mentioned that I think the key word, kind of the key theme in Galatians is freedom. And, and there's a twofold reason for that. First in this, in Paul's discussion in Galatians, he talks about how the death of Christ has fulfilled the law and it has freed those who used to follow the law from the rigors of the law. It doesn't negate the law. You know, the, the Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments, and they still have value. But it's saying that following the Ten Commandments alone won't put you in relationship with Christ. The law is not bad. And I think we always have to remember that. I remember as a kid growing up, growing up in church almost all my life, I got the idea that, that the Old Testament was just not something that we should study anymore except for the cool stories. And, and that, you know, we just didn't. And, and, and somehow you would get the idea the law was bad, but the law wasn't bad. The law was good. It was given by God. But the rules and regulations are no longer needed to give one right standing before God. They're external things. 
and in and of themselves, they don't have an impact on internal spiritual realities. You see, faith is not an outside reality. It's an internal reality that works its way out. When we put our faith in Christ, we are truly free. Secondly, reason I think it is, is when we truly apply God's principles for life, we discover a unique freedom that's deeply satisfying and fulfilling. So we're going to look at freedom because I think the aspect of freedom, beginning in in chapter 5, verse 1, and weaving through it, the idea of freedom is going to be an idea that then gets expressed as we learn to develop and exercise the characteristics that are called the fruit of the Spirit. The actual words free or freedom appear in Galatians 2.4 and twice in 5.1 and twice again in 5.13. The word translated freedom, it means just that. It means freedom. But when we look at several ways it was used, we can get a broader understanding of the word. Now, if you look up in dictionary.com, or if you still use the Webster Dictionary, you would find the definition of our English word freedom it has to do with being unrestrained, independent, self-determining. But if you go back to the world in which the New Testament was written, called the Greco-Roman world, because all the, the Roman Empire was in full force, the influence of Greek culture was still there, you're going to find that uh, that influence from Greek culture really played in. In the Greek culture, freedom meant one was free within the boundaries of whatever the law of the community was. Uh, The Greek culture believed one was free as a citizen, and the Greek philosophy actually gave us the concept of democracy in which citizens had the same rights, privileges, and voices. In Galatians, we see the word used being free from sin, free from death, free from destruction passions and destructive passions and habits, free from the law as a means to the path to salvation, but not free to do anything we want. Paul says in verse 13, where we're going to begin, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly and in love. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want. Now, before I give you my first point, let's come back to my zip lining tour. These zip lines were very interesting. Sometimes you've seen zip lines where they just go forever, and at the end, there's like a, a, a break. We didn't have a break, we had big, heavy gloves. And we actually had ground practice. They had one set up. So we practice riding along the zip line, and then you're holding on here, and you reach your hand back, and you actually became the brake on the zip line. So that was cool. That was, it was interactive, as they say. We were in the New River Gorge in West Virginia, which is very deep, and there were times where we would zip line, and we could look down and see the zip line we had been on earlier because we were moving our way up. Uh, and when we got on that zip line, and we we're on that, we're hooked into that trolley, and we go. That zip line was free, and it took us where we wanted to go. And you could hear it all the way down. I have a video that I'll show you later if you really ask me nicely. And and, and we could go all you know, and it was just 
you were totally free as long as the trolley was properly connected to the wire, the big heavy cable. Here's the thing. Freedom is best exercised within clear boundaries. I'm looking out there and seeing cars go back and forth on Geneva Road when they should be, never mind, uh, going back and forth on Geneva Road. You know what? Those cars are free to take that driver and their passenger anywhere they want to go as long as they stay in their own lane. A few weeks ago, the crash happened. I saw a horrible three-car accident. One car was flipped over here at Pleasant Hill Road and Geneva Road, and it you know, my neighbor and I were talking. He goes, you know, people are always trying to cheat the light. You know, it's yellow. I can make it. Oh, it's almost, I can make it. Boom, there's a crash. When we stay within our lane, we have great freedom. I dropped a friend off at the Metro the other day. That Metro train has great freedom to get somebody from Wheaton into Chicago as long as it stays on the tracks. Freedom is best exercised within clear boundaries. That's the point Paul makes in verse 13. You are free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Use your freedom within the boundary of serving others. Think about it. When we learn to be good managers of our income, when we discover the value of, of putting together and operating within a budget, there is freedom. There is freedom. You know, uh, in another month, I've got to pay quarterly taxes. And you know what? Every single week, I set aside a little bit of money so that when the quarterly taxes are due, it's there. There's freedom. I don't worry about that. You know? We set aside money for emergencies. Just set it over here. So when that emergency comes, we don't worry about it. There is freedom within that boundary. There is great freedom in learning to be content. Learning to be content with what we have. Because then we have freedom to enjoy what we have. We have freedom to not get caught up in the trap of consumerism, which feeds the want for more. For Paul... When one is free from the constraints and the rigors of the law, they are free now to serve. So they're not worried about, did I, did I do this law right? Did I do this one right? Have I done this right? Have I done that right? No, you're free to serve. You're free to love. You're free to be who God wants you to be. Paul gives us the boundary, as we've mentioned. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but he says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. The idea of indulge is an interesting word. It, it carries the sense of being the starting point. You know, and so he says the idea is don't use your freedom in Christ as a starting point to live any way you want. Use your freedom of Christ as a starting point to live in the new freedom of faith that Christ is at the center. Too often, we tend to look at one's 
salvation, whether it was a point in time where they said, I prayed this prayer and that's when I knew I was saved, or there are other people that it's a journey. I started here and I kept moving and all of a sudden one day I realized, yeah, I do believe in Christ. But however you come to faith in Christ, it's a starting point. I've told this one before. There was a little boy back in the town we lived in in Indiana. His dad told me this. One night as maybe a five-year-old, he prayed with his mom and dad and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. And he went to Sunday school the next Sunday. And he said to his teacher, I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my life. Oh, that's great. That's so good. And he goes, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. Oh, why? I'm going to heaven now. Uh, and isn't that how we do it? If you ask Jesus to come into your life, you get to go to heaven. Do you know what? The Bible never says that. The, there's no place in the Bible where it says, once you pray to know Christ, you get to go to heaven. No, once you pray, once you, however you come to Christ, once you come to faith, it's a starting point of living a life of a disciple and following Jesus. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So I've known people take that and go, I, I squared myself away with God. On this date, I prayed. I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, so it does not matter. I literally know someone who said, it does not matter how I live from now on because I took care of it there. Now I can live any way I want. No! That's exactly what Paul's saying. We need to live our lives in a way that we say, I am free within the boundaries of God's word to serve him and to serve others. Freedom is not Freedom is not self-centered. Self-centered thinking puts me at the core and takes Jesus away. I've known people making decisions not seeking God, but based on what they wanted. We're moving to XYZ place. Oh, really? Why are you moving there? Oh, we just always wanted to live there. Okay, did, did you pray about it? Did you ask God if he has something for you there? Nah, God wants us to be happy, so we're doing it. Okay, that's not freedom. That's self-centered thinking. What are we free from? We're free from guilt and the burden of sin. We're free from fear of the future. We're free from the control of our enemy, the devil. We're free from giving in to selfishness. We're actually free to say no to that which is sinful. And we are free to love fully, free to serve completely, free to live contentedly, free to love my neighbor as myself. Paul says, verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. See, the opposite of being free to love my neighbor as myself is to look at my neighbor as my adversary in some way. Some way I have to get better than them. I have to do better than them. I might have to have a bigger car than them. I might have to have a faster computer, whatever it is. So Paul goes on and he reminds us of a second point. Freedom is best exercised within boundaries. But secondly, freedom that is self-focused is essentially bondage. Look at verse 17. For the flesh, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul says there's this battle going on, and we all know it, right? 
There's this battle between the flesh, between what I want, and between the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and what He wants, and they're in conflict. And we wrestle with that. And Paul says we're not free to do whatever we want because that conflict happens. But he says if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, when you're led by the Spirit, you are free from the rigors of the law, but free to serve Christ. If we give in to that conflict, we give in to bondage. Two of my kids suggested this last week that I watch a documentary on Netflix. The title of the series is Untold, and the subtitle of this one was Johnny Football. In 2012, there was a young man named Johnny Manziel who played for Texas A&M as a freshman, and he took the college football world by storm. He was pretty amazing to watch. It's like, you know, he was slippery. You couldn't tackle him very easily. He could, he could throw a pass on the run and hit a receiver, and, and he was, in fact, so impressive, so impressive that at the end of that season, he was awarded the Heisman Trophy for being the best player in college football, and it had never in its history been awarded to a freshman. He played one more season at Texas A&M, and then he got drafted to the Cleveland Browns. He was a little bothered by the fact that he got drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the 22nd draft, 22nd in the first round. He wanted to go first. He lasted barely two seasons with the Browns. And then he bounced around for a few years in the Canadian Football League. And then nobody heard from him again until this thing came up. See, the documentary revealed that he went to a high school in Texas that had a very rigid football program. It was almost like boot camp all season. They showed some of the workouts these guys did. And it was highly disciplined and highly controlled. And while he fit in with the program physically and all, he really could have cared less about the discipline. He was a very much an undisciplined young man, and that became very clear when he got to college. He didn't study game film like most quarterbacks do. He didn't prepare. He, he actually partied. He, he, they, they, he figured out a scheme where he could make money, lots of money, selling his autograph, but in a way that the NCAA did not find out. So he was living in violation of NCAA rules as he was getting the Heisman Trophy. Uh, and, and so he partied, he was undisciplined, and while he could shine on the field, he, could do, he, he just didn't do the work he needed to do, and it caught up with him at the next level. He was bound by his own lack of self-discipline and self-centered, self-aggrandizement living. He indulged the flesh, and he paid the price. He was bound by unrestrained freedom, because freedom that is self-focused is essentially bondage. We heard it read earlier, but Paul lists for the Galatian church some of the acts of the flesh. And when you look at the list in Galatians 5, 19, and 20, you find that if you were to categorize those things, you could put them under two general categories, self-centeredness 
or objectification of others. I want to reread some of those verses we heard in the message, picking it up at um, verse 19. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. You see, living by the desires of the flesh will end up being enslaving and not freeing. How do we know that we are living in true freedom? I believe God-centered freedom builds true community. That's our third point for today. God-centered freedom builds true community. That's what Paul is desiring. That's what he wants for the Galatians church, Galatian churches. That's what you see in chapter 6 is the idea. If you see someone caught in a, fr- a sin, you restore them, but do it gently. And, and it says, you know, you, you carry their burdens, but you also learn how to balance that by taking care of your own burdens. In chapter 6, verse 10, we use that for our benevolent fund here. As much as it depends on you, as far as, as, as far as you can, do good to all people, especially those in the household of faith. When you're free, there's a community that develops. Paul's warning to the Galatians in 15 to 20 is the opposite of community. If you and I live selfishly and get involved in internal fights and squabbles, if what I want becomes more important than my relationship with you, then we end up destroying each other. One individual who'd written a commentary on the book of Galatians summarized it this way. When you and I think of the Galatian church, we ought to have in our minds a congregation at war with one another, forming separate gatherings having proud leaders, claiming victories. We ought to envision separate house churches where the members did not speak to the members of other house churches. We should see the people who were circumcised acting like they were better than those who were not circumcised. The Galatian church does not exist any longer. Eventually, history says they did sort of destroy each other. And they cease to exist. And what's God's desire? God wants to see his children loving one another, serving one another, living in community with one another, free to serve one another. Over the next nine weeks, we're going to look at the opposite of self-aggrandized, self-indulgent living. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. I want to challenge you each week to come with an attitude of humility. Each week, come with an attitude of humility, and I would encourage you to pray that simple prayer as we look at these characteristics of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. As we look at those, just pray that simple prayer. Lord, change me. Lord, maybe I had a professor once, he said, I look at the fruit of the spirits and I'm, I'm about five for nine. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not quite hitting uh, even halfway. I, uh, I have some I need to work on. And you know what? That shifts. There are some times when I'm more loving and sometimes I need to be more loving. There are some times when I have forbearance and there are many, many times I don't have forbearance. And so I think we come each week saying, here I am, Lord, change me. Change me so that I can be in line with you. And yet there's an encouragement. As, we, as you listen, as you absorb, as we, we, we are going to rehearse the fruit of the Spirit weekly. We will rehearse it from different translations and all. And weekly, we're going to rehearse that together. And then as we do kind of a deep dive into each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, while we all know we have room for improvement, I believe there are going to be times... I believe there are going to be times in each of your lives when you're going to sense the Holy Spirit saying, you're doing okay here. I want you to be encouraged when you feel affirmed, when you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm living the way that, that we're learning from the Scripture. Accept the affirmation from the Holy Spirit and be encouraged and keep living in that way. When we know who God wants us to be, with the help of the Holy Spirit striving to be that person, we find true freedom. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your servant, the Apostle Paul, chose under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit not to pull any punches. Thank you that he spoke straightforwardly to this group of churches. Thank you, you've preserved this letter for us. Sometimes we need you to speak straightforwardly to us. I ask, Lord, as we go into this day, that we would think very carefully about how we use our freedom. Think very carefully about our mindset and our attitude, that we would listen as the still, small voice of the Spirit speaks to our hearts and Reminds us, one, of ways where we need to change and be less self-indulgent and at times encourages us and says, yes, this is the way. Keep walking in it. And I ask, Lord, that you will allow us to be your servants in this community and in the larger community in which you take us so that your name is honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.